Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And apparently it is a new era, everybody. It's a new era. On the show today, we are talking about the fact that yesterday the world took a turn. The Trump era is over and America celebrated, well, much of America celebrated, obviously not all of America. We will be talking about that. And we're going to be talking to our friend in Washington, Amelia Lester, about how she's feeling and how different that is from two weeks ago when she was affected by the Capitol riots very personally. And we will be doing our best and worst of the week. But first... Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear... I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear... That I will faithfully execute... That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. President. How did we feel about the inauguration yesterday of President Joe? Biden, Mia Friedman. Well, I hated it. No, <laughs> I, um, I just spent the day marinating in it. Like I, I just, I really let myself enjoy it because I'm on holidays and part of me was thinking, oh my God, you should be at the beach. But then I thought, you know what? I've spent five years wishing for this moment. Why would I not savor it? And I think the biggest there, I mean, there are a number of shocks to me, which really highlighted how we've become conditioned to awful, awful things. So some of the shocks, I mean, overarchingly, the the biggest shock is how normal it all was, right? Normal people giving normal speeches, looking normal, saying normal things. That just felt shocking. The other thing that really struck me was that I really absorbed was, was the aesthetics of that normal. So for so long, not only has Trump said these awful things, but the visuals have been so strange, like this orange man with this terribly applied fake tan, this white hair, and all the women around him, that that aesthetic of in his family and among his spokespeople, that, that female aesthetic of the very 80s, big hair, high sky high heels, tight dresses, you know, really youthful looking faces and of course everything white. And what I loved seeing yesterday was different women of different colours and different ages and different sizes. And that's me as a white woman. I couldn't imagine how it must feel for a person of colour yesterday 
seeing people that looked like them on the public stage again mm. because it's been five years where it has just been a complete whitewash. So from, from Michelle Obama and her, you know, the, the women were wearing flat shoes, some of them, and the significance of the women wearing purple, that was the suffragettes. Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris and Michelle Obama all wore purple. Not only is that the colour of the suffragettes, but that's also a colour of unity because it's, you know, red signifies Republicans and blue signifies Democrats. So when you wear purple, that signifies unity. So all of those little details were just so shocking to me in the most beautiful way. I have to say that I, like the rest of the world, have become completely obsessed by Amanda Gorman, who was the poet. So she was chosen as the inaugural poet who writes a specific piece of poetry for the inauguration and reads it. She's the youngest ever to do that. She's 22 years old. Here's a little bit of the poem that everybody is talking about that Amanda Gorman wrote. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country. Our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. The things I loved so much about her, other than that I love, obviously I'm a writer, so I very much respect her, her work. I love seeing a young woman with that level of confidence, an extraordinary poise. And then I heard an interview with her today because obviously the world is obsessed with her now. And she grew up with a terrible stutter, a speech impediment, mm. not unlike Joe Biden, the president. Oh. And she said that until very recently, she couldn't even pronounce her R's correctly. And so she said reading a poem that said rise so many times was a challenge. Would you have had any concept of that when you saw her standing up there looking like she owned the world? You know how you just said like Joe Biden, my mind went to like the guy in Bridgerton. You know how he had the speech impediment? Yeah. It's just like him. <laughs> but she is so fresh. So now I've been listening to all these interviews with her and she says that before she goes on stage, she has a personal, because obviously she's a poet, so she does readings. She has a mantra that she says to herself before she goes on stage every time. And it's this. I am the daughter of black writers who are descended from freedom fighters who broke their chains and changed the world they call me. She says that before she goes on stage. Oh. Now, the most amazing thing about that, first of all, it gives me goosebumps, but she was inspired to write that mantra by Moana. Oh. You know, the Disney princess movie Moana? Yes. Which was that song in it was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who she also oh. referenced in her poem when Twice. she said, history has its eyes on you. And I'm like, mm. how, how kind of refreshing and amazing is that, that one of the most high-profile poets now in the world <laughs> like her inspirations because she's so young are these very current references she blew me away on so many levels I absolutely loved that the symbolism of seeing the world stage occupied by adults again was just so lovely and Trump I think madly sending out emails to come and farewell him as he gets onto his little plane being the first president in modern history to refuse to go to the successor's inauguration. Like it was so petty and so beautiful. I felt like it was this. I remember we all sat around four, four and a bit years ago after Trump was elected 
And the point made by Jackie Lunn, which was, I don't know what to say to my children because a bully just won and everything I've taught them about integrity and hard work and excellence and kindness just went out the window because the person occupying the highest office in the world is not a good man, doesn't claim to be a good man, rape allegations, he cheated, he was accused of fraud, bad, bad man. And it felt like it was this moment of redemption where we discovered, where we were reminded that bullies don't win for long. I wrote that piece on Mum Mia this week about sometimes it looks like they do and it, it looks like the bullies are in charge and that you get a lot further by stepping on people and oppressing people and getting anger and hate out of those that follow you. But it doesn't last for long and it, it feels like maybe Trump got his comeuppance. Mia, did you get that sense? I don't know. I, I I feel like he did win for a really long time. Like he used his office to enrich himself and his family. He, you know, did awful things. He left pardoning all these crooks that were his friends. Like I loved that he slunk away like a cockroach. Yeah. I really liked, I enjoyed that a lot and the the – farcical nature of his farewell that no one wanted to come to. I always knew that I needed him to be really humiliated and shamed at the end to feel any sense of justice because there was, of course, the part of the light coming back, which is Biden and this new administration, but also I I needed him to be punished. And, And for Trump, the worst punishment is being a loser. And I loved how by purely his own fault, had he not denied the outcome of the election and then encouraged the riot on the Capitol, he could have gone out as an absolute kingmaker in the Republican Party. As it is, he's Mm. gone out a pariah in in, in the business world, everywhere. He could have retained his social media, all of those things. And it's all by his own hand that none of that's happened. The other thing I loved is how much he would have been burning at all the star power um, (laughs) coming back to Washington because remember at his inauguration and all through his term in office he wanted there to be lots of celebrities because celebrities traditionally perform at the inauguration and at Republican ones as well but they all said no to him and there was some three doors down I think was some bad country cover band that he had at his inauguration and this time it was Gaga and and J-Lo and the other thing because I watched the whole inaugural concert as well the other thing that I really realized that I've been missing even though I've rolled my used to roll my eyes at it is the whole American cheese yes you know how they are just so patriotic and it's always like you know for justice and good and the American people and the flag flying high I'd really missed that sense of hope and that sense of even though it feels cheesy, it was being used for good again rather than for evil. The cynical part of me thinks that we do have to remember with all the excitement yesterday and seeing, as you've both said, like decent human beings stand up there. And I noticed how very deliberately they talk about their family all the time. Like every time Joe talks about Kamala, his his amazing vice president, he says, and Doug, like, you know, he's always bringing the family into the, like, it's all, I noticed that, which is lovely. But I think we also have to be realistic to think about what this president is inheriting, which is... I mean, I used to talk about the shit skirt that Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Britain, inherited after Brexit, which is this idea that, like, yes, you've got the top job, but you're going to have this stink that follows you around. And for all our optimism and so many people, I guess, in our world's optimism, we have to remember that 70 million Americans voted for Trump, that they're heading towards half a million dead 
in their COVID pandemic. This is going to be an incredibly difficult job for anybody to do this. So all the rhetoric about unity and bringing people together, America's never been more divided. It's going to take a bit more than J-Lo and some fireworks, I think. On the subject of what he's inherited, I heard that one of the first things Joe Biden did in the White House was remove Donald Trump's Diet Coke button. Um, He had a Diet Coke button at his desk where he would press it and be brought a Diet Coke on a silver platter. And look, I've got some compassion for Donald Trump now. I reckon that's a great idea. What button would you have? I would love a Pepsi Max button. I'd love a coffee button. I think we all need a button. I'm very surprised he undid that. So about two weeks ago, I woke up to a text message from my very close friend, Amelia Lester, friend of the pod and out louder. Uh, Amelia lives in Washington. She's Australian, but she's lived overseas since she was about 18, actually. She's a journalist. She writes a column for The Good Weekend here. And her husband is in the Navy. He's American and he is a doctor. And so they're posted, since they got married a couple of years ago, they've been posted to Japan for a few years. And last year they were posted to Washington, where she also had their second baby last year during the Black Lives Matter riots, actually. So she's been living in Washington for more than a year. And on the morning of a couple of weeks ago, I woke up to a text from her saying, I really need you to not send me panicked texts today. Just watch the news and send me love. And that was the first thing I read when I woke up. And of course, what was happening was was the riots in the capital. So she's been through a lot. We're so close and we text all day, every day, but our lives could not be more different. I forget sometimes she says things like, I haven't had a coffee in a cafe with a girlfriend since 2019. Or she'll say, I haven't touched another human apart from my two children and my husband in over a year. I mean, we can say what we feel about Biden and Trump and America and life, but we thought we'd ask Amelia to come on the show and share with the Outlouders how she's going. I am great. (laughs) (laughs) Even your voice sounds different, Amelia. Your voice sounds different today. I feel like an enormous weight has been lifted and there is a spring in my step and everything is great. Can you, before we talk about how great you are, and and I love that you are, can you uh, talk a little bit about that day two weeks ago that Mia referenced? We know you've written about it for the Sydney Morning Herald. Can you tell us a little bit about that day when you texted Mia, don't send me panic texts today? Yes. So my husband is uh, in the US Navy And he's a doctor in the U.S. Navy. And we've been living in Japan until the end of 2019. We had a wonderful time in Japan, but we were thinking, where should we go next? We want to go somewhere where Johnny, my husband, won't be sent off to war. And when keep remember that in the U.S., Donald Trump or whoever the president is, is the commander in chief of the armed forces. So the president is my husband's boss. And when the president is someone who is highly erratic and prone to starting Twitter fights with people who have nuclear weapons, 
you want to try and solve for that and go somewhere that's peaceful and calm. So we decided that we would go to Washington, D.C. because the job that Johnny was going to take at the U.S. Capitol, which is where Congress meets, he was guaranteed not to be sent off to war for various boring reasons. So we said, that's a great place to go. We'll go to Washington, D.C. We'll go to restaurants. We love restaurants. We'll um, see all our, our friends. And Johnny will have this kind of sleepy job dealing with politicians. And he won't have to go to war. Didn't really turn out that way. <laughs> <laughs> this is like one of those how it started, how it's yeah. going. How are, the, um, <laughs> how are the restaurants going, Amelia? Any great recommendations for local restaurants? You know, how it started is even worse because Mia can back me up on this. When we got married and moved to Japan, everyone's forgotten this, but the first big scandal or fear of the Trump administration in terms of foreign policy was we thought that he and Kim Jong-un were going to start a nuclear war. Does anyone remember this? It, it rings a bell. Rings a bell. And we were living in Japan on a little island called Okinawa, which was literally referenced in tweets from Kim Jong-un about how he was going to strike Okinawa as retaliation when Trump struck North Korea. So that wasn't a great start mm. either. I mean, how it started wasn't great. <laughs> and none of it was great. So, so Amelia, how did you first learn of what was happening in the Capitol? Like, did you learn about it on the news or through text messages? So the night before, I was idly scrolling Twitter and it was mentioned that the Iranians were going to fly a plane into the capital that day because it was the one-year anniversary of Trump ordering the killing of Soleimani, the Iranian leader. Yeah, all these fun events that we've probably forgotten about. So I was a little scared about that. The next morning when we woke up, I made sure to be slightly less grumpy than I normally am Mm. when I was sending my husband off to work because I thought, you know, who knows, maybe the Iranians. But then I knew that there were some little protests that were going to be happening on what's called the mall, which is like this big, beautiful piece of parkland that kind of stretches between the White House and the Capitol by Trump people, because that was the day that the Congress was going to count the Electoral College votes and say, yep, Joe Biden won by 7 million votes. But I wasn't that worried about it. So I started off by texting with two very good friends of mine in the US and we were sending each other memes, funny pictures of the protesters. They had to walk two miles between where the protest was on the mall and and the Capitol to protest the vote there. And a couple of hours later, so we're texting, starts to get a little scary And in that way on Twitter, when people, rumors are swirling, I hear about weapons. And then I tell my friends that I can't look at Twitter anymore because Twitter is, you know, is just the worst thing in the whole world, let alone when you're panicked. And they started to send me news updates. And then around noon, one of my friends texted me and said, I'm so sorry, but they're inside. Referring to the fact that the this ragtag crowd of people who I thought wouldn't make the two miles had actually not only walked two miles, but then in fact broken into the building where Congress was sitting and where my husband was working. The thing about the US is everything here is elevated. When protesters break into a building, 
you assume they have guns. You assume that they're going to shoot people because that's what happens in the U.S. People shoot people. And D.C. as it happens, Washington, D.C. as it happens, has very strict gun laws. You're not allowed to openly carry weapons here in public, which is actually kind of unusual as U.S. state gun laws go. Um, a friend of mine who lives in Utah was telling me the other day that the open carry laws there are such that you can literally take a gun anywhere and no one can ask you to put it away. So you can walk into a primary school. You can walk into a Starbucks. You can walk into a playground and people just have to deal with the fact that you're carrying a machine gun with you. Fortunately, DC does not allow you to do that. And that in itself turned out to be a huge boon because it's hard to hide big machine guns in your clothes. It turns out there were fewer guns than we thought. It, there weren't no guns. Some people have, have thought that because we didn't see any guns, there weren't any guns. But in fact, the prosecutors who have subsequently been um, writing um, arraignments for these people who, who stormed the Capitol have found out that, that some of them were carrying guns. Were you texting Johnny? I had spoken to him before they broke in. Everything was quiet in his office. As Mia knows, he is an extremely calm person. I don't think I have ever seen him at all anxious about literally anything. Um, and I called him while the protesters were milling about outside and he said it's all quiet here. He made me feel rather silly for worrying. But then from the moment that my friend texted me, I'm so sorry they're inside, to when I heard from him, I've gone back and looked at the texts when I was running my article, was about 40 minutes. So I didn't know where he was for 40 minutes. And for those 40 minutes, I just sat very silently, as I did during childbirth too. When I'm very stressed, I can't speak and other people need to be completely silent. So um, I sent my children out with their babysitter for cookies. I called another friend and just told her to be very quiet and not speak. And we just sat silently on a FaceTime call for 40 minutes. And then because it was very unclear what was happening. Remember, the media were inside and just as scared as everyone yeah. else. I mean, mm. it was a crazy scene. So it was very hard to get reliable information. Mm. Um, and, and where was Johnny through this? So it turns out what happened was Johnny had um, answered a, a very early distress call from Capitol Police. Someone was injured. He went to set up a triage clinic. And then that triage clinic was evacuated because it was right next to where the protesters streamed into the building. So there's all these underground tunnels underneath the Capitol. It's very cleverly designed to repel insurrections exactly like this one. So they took one of the extensive underground tunnels to a building nearby, basically. And so when he texted me, he said, I'm in this building nearby. And of course, I was Google imaging the building. And once I saw the building and I understood he was not in the Capitol, I was fine. But those 40 minutes were just, I think, the worst 40 minutes of my life. Oh. When he came home that night, what did he tell you? That's a really good question, Jesse. So when he came home that night, what did he tell me? He, <laughs> he was just like... Yeah another day at work. For him, it was actually kind of, I think, a productive day in that he had been trained 
to deal with situations exactly like this one. If you're in the military, you're actually endlessly rehearsing situations exactly like the one that just happened. So for him, it was kind of a day at work, a chance to put in place the training that he'd had. And I said to him, are you not in perhaps some kind of PTSD mm. situation here? And and he had asked himself that question. Being a doctor, he had he had interrogated himself on that front and thought, is this a trauma situation? But he said, honestly, no. I think it was me who had a lot more trouble processing the situation and and I'm still processing the situation. How did you feel in between that time leading up to the inauguration? Obviously, there's been a massive security operation in Washington, but have you been afraid ever since yes. that it was going to happen again? Yes, I thought this past Wednesday of the inauguration, I thought there was a good chance he would die. And that's not me being alarmist. It's Mm. a situation here where it takes one person with one gun. There were threats that thousands, even a million people were going to descend on D.C. And they were angry and they had guns. I don't think Mm. it was alarmist of me to think, well, there's a good chance that he might die on Inauguration Day. And Mm. then D.C. itself, we are living in a war zone. There were 25,000 troops here, 25,000. It was three times as many troops as were in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. You couldn't go you couldn't go into the CBD because it was just completely blocked off. Helicopters have been a constant soundtrack to my life for the last couple of weeks. So I just was trying to sort of think through, okay, well, if he does die, what are we going to do? I mean, this sounds crazy, but this is what I, this is life under Trump. Like I was literally thinking through what would happen if he died. By the time Wednesday rolled around, I think I had just worked through those scenarios so many times and I was so tired of thinking about it that I'd entered a kind of stage of numbness where I wasn't nervous anymore. I was just kind of numb. I couldn't quite believe everything was unfolding in a smooth and peaceful way on Wednesday because I had just prepared myself for the worst. I had truly prepared myself for the worst. How did you spend yesterday, Amelia? What did you do? Well, I'd started a new job this week. <laughs> so <laughs> I was trying to work and my, my job's in media. So I was trying to cover the event. And in a way that was good because if you're doing a job that you've been trained for, I'm trained to cover news events. So it was actually sort of good that I was at work for it. When I say at work, I mean at home. No one goes to the office here because... Um, no one's left their houses for a year. But I was at home covering the event and was able to kind of immerse myself in it as a news event. And there was something about the way, the cinematic way in which it began with snow and ended in sun. I kind of knew the minute it started that things were going to be okay. And also there were 25,000 troops that you literally couldn't get near the building. So as someone at work said to me, unless these rebels literally fire missiles over the barbed wire and over the miles of fencing, nothing's going to happen. Amelia, for a few years, you co-hosted a Mum Mia podcast called um, Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay. We are now out of a Trump presidency. He's gone. Is everything going to be okay in your professional opinion? So I was I was texting with Mia about what we would tell our freaked out 
November 2016 selves because I thought that was a really fun thought exercise. Yeah. And, and what I came up with that I would tell my November 2016 self was Joe Biden is going to be president. I'm not taking any further questions right now. <laughs> and then I just walk out of the room, leaving my November 2016 self going, wait, what? Joe Biden? What is that? What is Joe Biden going to do with anything? And just leave the room because I could not tell my November 2016. Like things turned out just as bad as we thought. It's not like I could tell my November 2016 self, like, no, you're worrying about nothing. No, you're worrying about everything, and that's correct. Like, things were just as bad as we feared. They really were. I mean, I worried that my husband was going to be killed by far-right rebels disputing the result of a Democratic election. That's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah things I don't think were you'd not okay. considered that as one of the options back in November. Yeah. No. When you guys stopped the podcast, it was clearly because you'd gotten your answer. Things were not going to be no. okay for the foreseeable future. And you went, let's put a pause on that. And now things are going to be okay. So we can be cheerful again. I think we can because I also said to Mia that what I feel happened is that we tried something that wasn't democracy. Like it turns out democracy is not the default. I'm here to tell you guys democracy is not the default. I grew up in Australia in the 1990s. Like things were good. But it turns out that that's not always the way things are. And that's an unbelievably privileged realization to have. I know all the caveats. But there are other systems of government. And I'm here to say that democracy is better than those other systems of government. Like the glimpse I've gotten of resolving things through violence is that I would prefer to resolve things by voting. Amen to that, sister. I feel so hopeful for the future because we got ourselves out of a bad, bad situation. And it was the last minute and it shouldn't have taken so long, but we got ourselves out of it. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. That's the best. It was so great. I loved it. Oh my God, that's the worst. Sucked. I like talking about bad things. It is time for best and worst of the week. And we can't mention the US in it because I think we've done that enough. But who is going first? Jesse Stevens. I will go with my worst first. Bring some negativity to this show. So it would have to be scott morrison's comments this week about january 26 now at mama mia we only refer to it as january 26 we don't use that other term and in case you missed a bit of the news this week cricket australia came out and said and this is a quote so i can use it that they wanted to do away with the words australia day when it came to promoting the big bash league and scott morrison didn't like that very much i don't know why he decided this was an important thing to comment on, but he basically said, let's keep politics out of cricket. And then he said, when those 12 ships turned up in Sydney all those years ago, it wasn't a particularly flash day for the people on those vessels either. Oh, just don't say that. Think just of, don't use those think words. Think of the white people. 
just if but we can all think it, about the white it's people. It's not an incorrect historical statement that it wasn't flash for them, but that's he just doesn't understand. Yeah, and Linda Burney put it best. I was like trying to work out why it annoyed me so much and she said suffering is not a competition. And I was like that's exactly it. We can acknowledge the suffering of the people who were here for tens of thousands of years prior and saw these people come and how scary and do we need to talk about genocide and diseases and stolen generations and all of those things. It's like we're all just going, yeah, that day's a bit messed up. It is. Let's change it. No one in my circle thinks that it's appropriate. And then Scott Morrison just seems really out of touch and it just made me so angry because I thought if you had some leadership on this and went, yeah, let's change the date, let's acknowledge that this is a day of mourning, then maybe we could get somewhere. But every year we just have exactly the same conversation. And I'm going to just bring up my new favourite person, Amanda Gorman, who was the inaugural poet yesterday, because there were two lines from that poem that I immediately wrote down because they speak so much to this day that every year we have this conversation about. When she was talking about reckoning in America, she said, it's because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. So and I was good. Just like, yes. Exactly. We've got lots of things, by the way, planned for January 26th across Mamma Mia podcasts and on Mamma Mia Out Loud. So you'll be hearing more about that on Monday. What was your best, Jessie? My best is that my book that I have talked about on this podcast a few times is ready for pre order. You can buy it. It's called Heartsick. I've posted about it on Instagram and you can buy it at Booktopia or Pan Macmillan, wherever you buy books. It is nonfiction. Uh, it's written as fiction about three people and what it's like when heartbreak upends a life. There are some essays in it too where I share some personal experiences with this, but it's for anyone who's ever had a broken heart or knows what that feels like or if there's someone in your life who has just gone through it. It's about meeting people where they're at and providing a language around that kind of grief that we don't talk about enough. It has been quite the process. I have been very supported by Mia and Holly, fellow authors. Now we're all authors, guys. I'm so excited. I'm so excited and so Welcome. proud. And, I mean, the Out Loud is obviously going to be hearing a lot about this book exactly. for the next few months. But yes. congratulations, Jessie, on the first day of it being out in the world. I know it's not out yeah. for a while yet. But, yeah, you can pre-order it. So it comes out March 30. And I'm just really excited. And um, yeah, thanks all the Outlouders for your support and all your kind messages. It's a good week. It's a good day. Yeah, Mia? My worst is my neck. Okay. Uh, This is so superficial. I know it's so superficial. I mean, Jessie, look how deep yours is. But the rules of best and worst is that they can be meaningful and they can also be shallow. And mine is just my neck. Like, I'm at this stage where I used to always wonder why Nicole Kidman would wear like a bandana around her neck when she was at the beach and stuff. And now I am that. I had to buy a little scarf to put around my neck because it's almost like overnight. It just goes to turkey skin. Anyway. Why does that happen? working on that. I don't know. It's really strange. It's just something that seems to happen really fast. A lot of my friends are saying the same thing. And I think it's because you can't put all your serums on your neck because I learned that the hard way when I tried. you got to be a bit careful because the skin's very, very delicate on your neck. And I think that's why it gets a bit saggy. Some of my fondest memories are being a child sitting on my grandmother's lap and playing with her neck. And you could take it out, like pull it out, and then it would just stay there for ages. And I'd be like, look at all the skin, Nan. Look at how saggy it is. It was the best game. I feel so much better now after that. (laughs) Maybe I can play with Um, your neck. So uh, my best is... As I said, I'm on holidays and 
we were on holidays with my two youngest kids, Remy and Coco. And then the day before yesterday, we sent them home because they had various things on and to get ready for school and stuff. And so they are staying back at Sydney with my niece and with Luca earlier in the week. Anyway, Jace and I are on our own for the first time. I mean, my God, I can't remember not being around my children for the longest time. And because before the pandemic, I used to travel a lot, I used to get quite a decent amount of time on my own. But now that doesn't happen anymore. And um, my kids don't like doing school camps. Because this is a school holidays. We spend a lot of lovely time together. It has been lovely. But gosh, it's nice yeah. to just have privacy in a relationship again. Because I mean, apart from the obvious stuff, the other thing that's really hard to do when you've got little kids around is have fights, oh. yeah. have proper fights, because you're always trying to be quiet. So we, it was really nice. We got to have a really great fight, but actually resolve it instead of they're having to either hush it up or having the kids come in and go, are you getting a divorce? Like they just troll us yeah. now. And it's really annoying when you're trying to have a fight and someone's just laughing at you about whether you're going to get a divorce. So anyway. What's the vibe? Do you like him? Like do you reckon you're keeping I do. I like okay. him lots. Aww. And we work together. We've barely had any time apart in, oh, my God, 100 years. But I do really like him. You know, marriages and long-term relationships go through yeah, phases really where you can't stand the way they blink and then phases – where you love them again and uh, we're in a good phase. Oh, that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Holly, do you like your husband? Yeah. Do I like my husband or me as husband? Because I work with him too. Oh, let's leave Jason out of it. How about your husband? I do. I very much like my partner too. He's been all right this holidays. Oh, good. He's driven me crazy. I mean, you know, we've had our moments. Five out of ten. My worst has been, well, it's kind of my worst of the break really, is that it's been... I don't want to sound like an idiot, but it's been a very strange time to be having a lovely time, right? So we've had our issues here in Australia, obviously, with the pandemic. And just before Christmas, obviously, with the Sydney outbreak and people have been in lockdown and a lot of us didn't get to spend Christmas with who we wanted to. But in general, especially now, things seem to be returning to a little bit of normalcy. And I'm reminded all the time, like we were when we just spoke to Amelia, I'm reminded all the time of how unbelievably privileged and lucky that is mm. just through a situation of geography. Obviously, I'm not saying that um, our position in a pandemic is luck, but where we all live and were born and or chose to move to sort of is, is that I get to do these things. I was on holiday last week in the most beautiful place with my family. Meanwhile, back in England where my family are, they have got one of the highest COVID death rates in the world. They're heading for 100,000 deaths. They have just the most shocking infection rates. And my family and friends are all in lockdown. We lost a family member to COVID. So it's this strange world at the moment where your reality looks very different to other people's realities. And dealing with that is really strange. And I was talking to my mum and dad on one of my days when I was sitting in this beautiful place in the Hawkesbury River, you know, with a glass of wine in my hand. The sun was setting. The kids are frolicking. It's ridiculous. And they're dealing with... We can't go to a funeral, all of those things. So my worst continues to be that strange displacement of experience. But my best is related to it, which is that this week on Tuesday, my dad got the first vaccination of the two (gasps) jab vaccination that you get. Tomorrow, my mum is having her first one and my very good friend who has quite a bad lung condition, he is getting his first vaccination on Sunday. So... 
we all know that that's not necessarily going to solve everything. There are still a lot of questions about what vaccinations are going to do in terms of are you still a carrier and can you move around and when are they going to get the second jabs and all those things. But in Britain, they've made a decision to roll the first jab out first to get some kind of immunity up in the population because the infection rates are so crazy. And it's been a long journey. Like my parents have been waiting for calls from the doctor. I know people who've sat on hold for three days. I know people who've oh said, oh, you've got an appointment. Oh, no, you haven't got an appointment. It's not been smooth sailing. But now... It's a happening thing and there's this tiny seed of optimism that is coming through there, which is brilliant. That's the news we've been waiting for. Vaccine oh, rollout. so good. That. So that is my best. Quickly before we go, this has been a bit of an epic show, but it has been a bit of an epic week. Mia Friedman, you have a recommendation for us all. I do. Just on the topic of my neck and just being on holidays, sun's protection has been super important. So some quick recommendations. I've been trying some new sunscreens. Hamilton Sun Everyday Face. It's an SPF 50. Super easy to get. I think Camas Supermarkets, it's like eight bucks. Really, really good. It's nice and matte. It's not greasy on your face. Also, La Roche-Posay and Thelios, which is a Camas brand, 25 bucks. That's also fantastic. And then for body, the ones that I've been loving the most, are there's a couple from Sunsense. Again, I think you can get these at the supermarket. The Mist and the Gel, because I don't like greasy creams on me and then there's a lady startup I really want to recommend I've been wearing a hat in a lot of my Instagram videos that people have asked me about it's such a great hat it's really wide it came via an out louder Sally Hepworth who we love who was wearing it um, when she went jogging during the lockdown in Melbourne and lots of people asked her about it and I thought it looked so great that um, she got them to send me some the brand is Samui Carter S-A-M-U-I Carter and they sell visors and hats and it's like an umbrella for your face. It gives you so much coverage and it covers your neck as well. So they are my little sun protection recos. Thank you, Mia. That is all we have time for on this week's Mum, Mia Out Loud, our first week back. Yay! Yay! It's, it's been, been a long week. Look, I don't want to say it's been it's a long been a week, week, but it has been a big week. We will, of course, be back in your ears on Monday and then we have a very special episode dropping for you on Tuesday, but we will tell you about that on Monday. That is all for this week. This episode was produced by Emma Gillespie, the executive producer of Mamma Mia Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff, and we will see you on Mamma Mia. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.